Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, following up with a recap of last night's public meeting on the Eagle Creek Storage Basin proposal, were any minds changed about the project? Ahead of the Conservancy Court's expected final decision on July 9th. Also this morning, Senator Sherrod Brown is spending the July congressional break crisscrossing Ohio, touting programs to create jobs and enhance benefits for working families. He'll join us to talk more about it. The Health Resources and Services Administration is stepping up with a new program as part of a redoubling of efforts to combat the resurgent opioid epidemic. We'll have details. And no concerts at Riverside Park this summer, but the Findlay Civic Band will offer two performances this season, the first of which is coming up this week. We get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. My goodness, what a busy day we have uh, today. Uh, Reasons to celebrate. It is Hug Holiday today. And the other day we had, uh, what, National Handshake Day. We were talking about how great it was to be able to actually celebrate that again. Uh, Case in point here, Hug Holiday Day. It is National Almond Butter Crunch Day, National Camera Day. Do you still own a camera? I mean, other than the one on your phone, do you own a camera? I don't believe that I do. I I might have a camera somewhere in the closet or stuffed away in the attic somewhere. I don't know. But National Camera Day today. National Waffle Iron Day. I'm having waffles. And uh, it is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which is a liturgical feast honoring the martyrdom of Peter and Paul, who helped spread Christianity in its early days. So, a very happy Feast of St. Peter and Paul today to celebrate. So, we are originating the show from the bunker uh, this morning. And if you were uh, listening to the program yesterday, or if you listened to the podcast yesterday, uh, you know, we were having some uh, technical issues with some, with some of the equipment in the uh, main studio. And so, as a result... Uh, we are uh, hunkered down uh, in the uh, bunker today and probably for the next several days until we get uh, all of those uh, things fixed. So if yesterday it seemed you were listening and it seemed like we were a little off our game, it was because we had the Monday gremlins <laughs> running around wild in the studio uh, with some uh, with some issues with the studio equipment. But uh, in any event, we are in the bunker today and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get all of that back on track and all of that. It was just kind of a weird day yesterday. You have one of those Mondays. I, I you've you've had one of those, right? One of those Mondays where you just can't wait until it's over. <laughs> that was that was me yesterday. Uh, the end of the day is a thank goodness that's over. Anyway, but good to be with you uh, today. You know, it is uh, really really warm yesterday. Warm and sticky. It was. Uh, I think in the afternoon I I checked the weather on my phone. And it said it was like uh, 87 degrees, but it felt like 97. And so, you know, obviously very humid. You could tell how sticky it was just by the difference between the actual temperature and the feels like temperature. But I'm not going to complain too much because out west they have just been baking. I mean, literally baking temperatures well into the triple digits in places that don't normally see triple digit weather like Seattle and Portland and Boise uh, temperatures up around 107 108 109 
uh, just absolutely baking. And a friend of mine in uh, Southern California posted on Facebook yesterday, uh, his thermometer outside his house uh, was reading close to 120. And man, it is really, really hot out there in some parts of the U.S. right now. Even the uh, Northeast up into uh, northern New England, where they're not used to uh, real high heat, triple-digit heat. They're getting uh, close to the triple digits up there. So what should we eat we are, when we are facing summer's wrath? Uh, the, uh, one of the writer, the food writer for the Seattle Times, Bethany Clement, uh, picked up a few ideas of things that are good to eat when it is really, really hot outside. And here are some of her suggestions that I would share. Hot or cold sand sandwiches. Hot or cold sandwiches? I think cold sandwiches. Cold noodle dishes uh, like Vietnamese boon with rice vermicelli. Cooling Korean nyang myun. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Japanese zara soba served with cool broth. Cold soups. Cold noodle salad with fish sauce, a classic pasta salad, and of course, popsicles. <laughs> so you go through all of that just to get to popsicles. I think that's what I'll stick with. I think that's what I'll stick with. Anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see here. What is speaking? <coughs> Man, sorry, I just swallowed wrong there. <coughs> Speaking of food, this year's Sweets and Snacks Expo is a trade show for the snack food and confectionery industry. The Sweets and Snacks Expo recently happened. More than 450 distributors show off their latest and greatest treats to buyers, and that includes um, smaller specialty manufacturers and then the big boys like Hershey's and Mars. Uh, Christopher Gindelsberger is with the National Candy Association, says there are four main categories that seem to have emerged for 2021 in the candy and confectionery industry. Uh, the first is mashup treats like uh, Sheila G's and Hershey's are teaming up to launch Reese's Pieces Brownie Brittle. Mmm. She says this also applies to candy and even more for savory snack options. The second trend is spicy snacks. She says this time the heat comes from a variety of peppers, including things like habanero flavored walnuts and chili lime dusted avocado chips. So that's trend number two. The third category is tropical flavors. Coconut, pineapple, mango and banana are popular. And there is a rise in delicately dried tropical fruits as snacks. So tropical uh, flavors is another trend. And finally, the fourth trend is pantry restock packs. Expect to see more of your favorite treats offered in smaller pack sizes or as a bunch of small packs within a larger box. So those are the uh, treats in the or the, those are the trends rather in the uh, uh, snacks and treats industry from the Sweets and Snacks Expo because 
I thought you definitely need to know about this. Very important stuff. Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting stories, buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. This is kind of interesting is uh, generating a lot of discussion online uh, because the Internet always has opinions. A user on TikTok recently shared a video that went viral. Basically, he says, we have been parking in parking lots incorrectly for all of our lives. He proposes, and this actually is a smart idea. He proposes if all drivers parked with their left side tires on the left line of the parking spot, you line up the left tire with the left line of the parking spot, then it would mean that everyone would always have enough room to get out of their car comfortably. The vehicles would be perfectly spaced uh, every single time. He says the problem is when we try to navigate so that we are in the middle, perfectly in the middle of both lines, and that's almost impossible to do. So instead, it says line up your left tires with the left line of the parking spot, and you achieve the same purpose, except every, it's a lot easier and everybody is evenly spaced. And so we've been doing it wrong the whole time. Uh, he actually, uh, as a demonstration of this, showed a car dealership parking lot where they have done that with all of the vehicles. And uh, it is a smart idea, but as many people have pointed out, it depends on this only works if everyone does this, which would never happen. You know that. And I, th I think that's the main criticism. I think that's that's right. It's a great idea. But if you're the only one doing it, then it's not going to work. Uh, in a follow up video, he acknowledged the idea would probably not work because people make mistakes, and some people wouldn't park properly. But he said people have to uh, guess when people park in the center of a spot, whereas with this method, they would know if they had parked on the line or not. So anyway, it was a good idea. I, I don't think it'll work, but it's a, a good idea. I like it. And lastly, this was the uh, big news story yesterday uh, on, the, uh, on the pandemic. It appears, according to researchers now that the COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna provide protection against the virus that may last for years without a booster. Study was published in the journal Nature and found that both of those two-dose vaccines produce antibodies, cells made by the immune system to fight off viruses, that recognize the coronavirus and remain active for at least 15 weeks. The finding, they say, suggests that people who received these vaccines may not need boosters for many years, if ever, but they are quick to point out that that assumes or is provided that the virus and its variants do not continue to mutate significantly to the point where your antibodies would not recognize the virus. So I don't make of that what you will, but they say those, if you have the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, most likely you will not have to have a booster anytime soon. The J and J that may or may not be the case. I guess it remains to be seen, but at least with the Pfizer and the Moderna may be good to go again a big old asterisk there 
assuming that the virus does not continue to mutate. And we've seen it already mutating. So that's what viruses do out there in the wild. So I don't know how reliable that is, but thought I would share. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. This is I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The Ohio House and Senate have approved and sent to the governor a new $75 billion two-year state budget bill. Olivia Eugenio with Owen and Affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus has more with State Senator Matt Dolan of suburban Cleveland on a state income tax cut in the bill. Legislators settled on the proposed income tax cut, deciding to enact a 3% tax cut across the board, among other things. It eliminates the top bracket, changes our top marginal rate to 3.99, and it allows for people earning money up to $25,000 to not pay any tax. The next step for the budget. It will go to the governor's desk. And remember, the governor can choose to veto certain items of the budget. Republicans crafted the budget, but most Democrats in both the House and Senate signed on to the legislation. More than two dozen new people have filed a lawsuit against Ohio State University because of the ever-expanding sex abuse scandal involving former university doctor Richard Strauss. Here's Owen Angelanda Harris. 29 plaintiffs were part of the lawsuit filed in federal court, with most filing anonymously. Hundreds of people have accused Strauss of sexual abuse over two decades while serving as a university doctor. Strauss died by suicide in 2005, and no one has ever come forward to defend him. I'm Yolanda Harris. For more state news, go to ONNradio.com. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Once again, our cover story this morning, following up with a recap of last night's public meeting on the Eagle Creek Storage Basin proposal. Joining us once again uh, is Dave Blotnick. Blanchard River Watershed Solutions spoke with Dave uh, yesterday in advance of uh, that meeting. And David, there were about uh, what, a couple hundred people uh, in the audience for the uh, meeting last night. So a pretty good turnout, although uh, the uh, write-up in the Courier su- uh, suggested there was not a whole lot of support for the project among those in attendance. Did you get that that sense or what was your impression uh, of the, uh, the, the general tenet uh, of the meeting last night? Um, you know, Chris, thanks again for having me on this morning. And, you know, last night, yes, there were about 200 folks there. There were people there in support. They didn't get up and speak. Um, you know, I, I think it's more, you know, to your point, it's, it's just the, you know, the fear of the unknown and the concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you heard was really a lot of the agricultural community that lives out in, the, in that area, uh, you know, just with questions. Some of those concerns that were expressed uh, among those who did speak and did ask questions last night involved uh, safety uh, disruptions during the uh, construction, uh, the property values on down the line, and of course the cost of the project. Of all of those uh, objections or concerns that you heard last night, what are the most challenging ones to address? I would say, you know, property values, because again, our goal coming into this was not to impact, you know, people. And when we've looked at this, we've again tried to not use eminent domain. We said, let's sit down and try to negotiate and get a fair deal for people. And I, and I think that's how, you know, as a business, we want to run our business. And, uh, you know, what we felt was we were, you know, again, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a resident and I would want somebody to treat me fairly. So, you know, when I look at 
how we're going to go about this. And, and again, we don't have the end say. We're, we're trying to work with everybody and we're trying to work with the government and the different agencies on this to say, hey, let's, let's treat people fairly. And, you know, that, that to me is kind of the biggest concern coming out of this. I think the safety risk that people raised and questions, this will be a class one dam. It will be something that is monitored. It'll be, you know, overseen. The construction of it will be something that, you know, again, isn't, just, hey, we threw some dirt together to hold back some water. There, mm-hmm. there are standards and specs, and this will be built to the most stringent standards that a dam has to be built to. At the end of the uh, meeting, do you feel as though you changed anyone's mind? I mean, this has certainly been something that has been cussed and discussed for months on end. Uh, at this point, and this is kind of the question that we had yesterday uh, it, going into the meeting, uh, it, when the dust settles, do you think that any minds were changed with what uh, people heard last night? You know, at the end, I did hear some people say, okay, so there is a way for me to get into the development. You know, we, there's development that, you know, some roads are going to close. There is a plan. You know, and I think the biggest piece we heard was there's no comprehensive plan. Mm-hmm. And I would go back and say there is a comprehensive plan. There's a plan to build a base, and there's a plan to, to, to give access to a community if they're cut off and, and all of that. But, you know, it, and, and I kind of liken it to building the house. When, when you go out there, you first find a neighborhood you like, and then you try to find a lot or a home if you're going to, you know, and especially if you're building, you try to find that lot. You may look at two or three. Then you start to look at a plan and say, what what house would fit on that lot? And you may have to change your plans a little bit. Once you secure the land, then you may make changes and modifications to adjust to that. And really, that's what's going on. And I think I heard, hey, you know, there's no, you know, it's, it's partial this and partial that. It's partial because it's all being built. As far as the plan, is, is, you know, we know what the plan is. The plan is a basis. Mm-hmm. The plan is to give access to the community and that. But you have to go through a lot of steps, especially on a major project like this. It's not something you just kind of snap your fingers and it's done. It, it takes a period of time to, to, to develop all of this. And now, again, if you go back, we own the land. So now they can go out and do far more comprehensive testing so that the design is actually a design that works. And is this the the last part of that plan? Just to kind of uh, clarify, is this really the culmination, or is there something uh, beyond this? Uh, or, or are we kind of at the end of the road here in in terms of the uh, flood mitigation plan? Uh, I didn't hear showstoppers last night that you know sat back and said you know that the plan shouldn't go forward. As you know, and you, and the other side of this, you have to remember is we're at, all that's being asked of the, you know the conservancy court at this point in time is to include the basin into their master plan. Mm. They're not. There is no, there is no. Their vote does not sit down and say this is a, a done deal. This is what's going to be built. This is a. You know, that, that's actually for the conservancy and the, the conservancy district and their engineers to develop after. All this does is give them the ability to continue to work towards a project that will be out there. And so, you know, to me, there, there wasn't a showstopper that said, hey, you know, you're there. I, you know, the concerns are, should we come back and talk to some groups and answer some, some more questions? Absolutely. Uh, but you got to remember, you know, I, I, there was a gentleman who raised a lot of concerns about Stantac and about the Army Corps of Engineers and things they said. All of the data and all of the comments that he had had been refuted, and there's data out there, there's studies out there that have been done since those initial studies that said that that data was incorrect. So, and, and they've been given that data. So to your point, are, are we changing minds? Are we doing something? 
I don't know if we can change a mind if they're not willing to look at, you know, new and, you know, fresh data that comes from far more engineering and far more engagement and, and studies. Uh, on the property. Well, I guess uh, in the final analysis, the uh, most important person to convince uh, would be those on the Conservancy Court. And I know Judge Routson facilitated the meeting. Were there any other members of the Conservancy Court there? Yes. Uh, my understanding, there were at least uh, four or five others in attendance uh, there in, you know, in person. And there were others that were online. This was live stream, so they were right. on listening. And, you know, and again, hopefully they understand that, you know, this is a project that has been thought through. It's a, it's a, you know, the other, one of the questions is funding. And, you know, I, I know that's a concern, but, and, and the legislators couldn't be there last night. Uh, you know, Senator McCauley, Representative John Cross, uh, both of those were, you know, in the state capitol voting on budgets last night, couldn't be there. But, you know, they both sent notices that the mayor read. And so that, you know, hey, they're they're going to continue to work to fund this project and, and do that. And you have to remember the legislative process in this. You you can't encumber the next legislator. So, you know, it's kind of, hey, you don't have all the money. The, mm -hmm. the legislature couldn't just put $60 million in the bank and let it sit there for three, four, five, six years while the project gets done. They fund things as they go. So, you know, I again, I, I think that a lot of things have been done absolutely correctly. And I think if you were looking at process last night, I hope that what it really showed is that the process has been done and, and been followed um, correctly. And and with respect to uh, the members of the court, did you get the chance to uh, speak with Judge Routson afterward? And, and did you get uh, any sort of impression as to his impression uh, of the meeting last night? Uh, uh, I, I did not. I, I talked to him. I thought it was a, an overall a good meeting. And, you know, I, I guess I relayed my concern of the comprehensive plan because I think there is a plan. And I wanted to make sure that he didn't have a you know thought that there's no plan out there because there is. It's just, it, you know, it comes in stages. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to put words in his mouth of what he thinks or where he's at because I didn't ask. And uh, I, I think that's up to, you know, that, that's his. I I get, ability to respond. Yeah, I guess we will find out on July 9th when the uh, conserv Conservancy Court uh, next convenes and uh, it is anticipated uh, that they will make a final decision uh, on the uh, Eagle Creek uh, Storage Basin proposal. Again, uh, Dave Blotnick from uh, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions with a recap of last night's public meeting, the uh, video of which uh, is posted online and we have a link for much more information on our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net for that dave thanks very much for taking the time once again we appreciate it thank you Chris. Well, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that the opioid crisis has reared its ugly head again after seeing a steady decline in the numbers over the past couple of years number of overdose deaths spiked up again in 2020 number of reasons for that, but the bottom line is that it is time to redouble our efforts to beat this back down again. A new Health Resources and Services Administration program, the Substance Use Disorder Treatment and Recovery Loan Repayment Program, uh, it will provide student loan repayment to behavioral health professionals and paraprofessionals for service in a community affected by the opioid crisis. Dr. Louis Padilla is uh, Associate Administrator for the Bureau of Health Workforce and Director of the National Health Service Corps. Uh, Dr. Padilla, uh, what is the goal of this loan repayment program? Tell us more about this. 
Hi, Chris. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about this exciting program that HRSA has put out. As you said, this is our substance use disorder treatment and recovery loan repayment program, uh, otherwise known as STAR. And what this does is this supports uh, the administration's efforts to combat the nation's opiate crisis. And as you highlighted, unfortunately and sadly, along with COVID, we'd have an increase in uh, overdose deaths. Uh, this last year's and uh, last year and so for several years. So the goal of this program is to combat the opioid crisis, expand access to did substance use disorder services, uh, and provide loan repayment opportunities up to two hundred fifty thousand for a six-year full-time commitment in areas that are hardest hit by the opioid crisis. Yeah, I was going uh, to ask. I mean, you are targeting it says here communities affected by the opioid crisis, but I think just about every community has been uh, affected in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, how do you uh, define what communities uh, would be eligible for this, and how does this program help those communities uh, address this issue? Right, that's a great question. And, and although um, obviously across the country, country populations and communities are impacted by this, we're specifically looking at those areas that have high mortality death rates due to overdose as, uh, as reported by the CDC. So for the purposes of these awards, we are uh, making eligibility uh, assessments based upon that county's uh, overdose uh, death mortality. Um, right now we're using a level of 21.6 per 100,000. So that's pretty high. Uh, and if uh, we don't have data to indicate that, we would uh, use what's called a mental health HIPSA. So really what we're targeting is those counties, municipalities, areas that have above the national average of for the last three years, as reported by the CDC. And this is a way for us to utilize these resources. We anticipate giving out approximately 112 awards to those hardest hit areas of the country. And what is the patient benefit? Explain how this will help those who are caught up in the, in the throes of this epidemic. Well, what these uh, loan repayment awards will do was um, facilitate and expand and support the care teams that are already caring for patients across the country. Um, the benefit of this new loan repayment award is it does touch upon disciplines that typically through our other loan and repayment programs that we have in HRSA don't typically fund. Peer counselors, um, clinical support staff that are working in substance use disorder facilities. Um, so, uh, the aim of this program is to increase access to those needed services through these loan repayment awards. Now, you community members will benefit from that increase in, in access. Yeah, Sorry. no, no, that's uh, I, and you mentioned that the full uh, repayment uh, program would be available for a full six year commitment. Are there different levels of commitment on the on the part of uh, these uh, behavioral health professionals and paraprofessionals that you are targeting with this? No, the commitment would be for the six year. Would be the six year. Okay. Uh, for exactly for up to two hundred fifty thousand. And uh, who would be eligible to apply, and how would someone who would be interested in this uh, go about applying? And as I said, I, I think this expands, and the, and the great opportunity here is to expand these awards to those that we typically don't uh, have the ability to support, like bachelor's level substance use disorder counselors, mm -hmm. uh, behavioral health paraprofessionals, as you mentioned, clinical support staff like certified nurse um, uh, assistants, uh, licensed professional nurses, nurses that are working in these facilities providing these services. And, and if you want, if our, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and what is the application process? Yes. So uh, cl interested clinicians can go to bhw.hrsa.gov. That's bhw.hrsa.gov to learn more about the opportunity. 
Uh, they apply online. It's an online application. The application is open until July 22nd. Uh, and the first thing that the clinicians need to do is determine whether their sites are eligible. And there's a, a site search on the application. But if for some reason their site doesn't come up, they can contact us via the online portal or by calling us at 1-800-221-9393 to assist in that site identification. So that's the process to apply. And uh, just to highlight uh, and underscore something you were just mentioning, uh, obviously uh, they they can search uh, for a specific area where they are currently located. Would it be uh, uh, available for someone who is willing to relocate uh, to an area uh, that would be uh, that would qualify for this? Yes, they are. Okay. And, and again, if the if clinician is interested in relocating, to confirm that that site that they want to work at gotcha. or an employed at or an accepted in a position is eligible. Okay. And uh, you mentioned uh, July 22nd is the deadline, which was going to be my other question, whether this was a limited time program or whether this was an ongoing program moving forward. Right. Congress appropriated this money for this year. Uh, so this cycle closes July 22nd, and depending if we have additional funds for the next year, we would open up another cycle. Again, Dr. Lewis Padilla, uh, Associate Administrator for the Bureau of Health Workforce and Director of the National Health Service Corps with information about the uh, STAR program uh, to help uh, address the opioid crisis in communities that are hardest hit by it. And again, mention the website where folks can go for more information. Sure, and that's bhw.org hrsa.gov. Dr. Padilla, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. So our apologies, uh, a bit of a technical error actually on our end, have to uh, own up to uh, own up to this. Uh, the uh, technical uh, glitch is on our end with uh, Senator Sherrod Brown this morning. Uh, plan to uh, have him on the uh, program to talk about uh, some of what he is doing during the uh, July congressional break, the break for the Senate, uh, back in the uh, Buckeye State, uh, touting a, a number of uh, programs and plans uh, that he says would uh, create jobs, enhance benefits for working families, and so on. Uh, we will uh, work to uh, figure out uh, the uh, those technical issues, and uh, we will gl- get that glitch corrected and uh, get uh, the senator on the uh, program tomorrow uh, on the show. Uh, so we apologize for uh, for that error. And again, have to own up. It is entirely our <laughs> entirely our issue uh, on our end, not on the senator's end. So uh, we will <laughs> when when we make the the goof, we will uh, own up to it. So uh, in any event, also by the way, uh, earlier uh, this morning we uh, spoke with the uh, folks Blanchard River Watershed Solutions. Uh, a recap of uh, last night's public meeting on the Eagle Creek Storage Basin proposal. We also yesterday reached out to representatives of Hancock United for a Better Blanchard Hub, the uh, group of rural uh, residents who have uh, been opposed to the uh, uh, dry basin uh, proposal. And we invited them on the uh, program to share their perspective and their impression of last night's meeting. And they declined our invitation to join us on the uh, program. So just to uh, get that in there as well. So there's some housekeeping things here. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. The holiday coming up, uh, you know, you're going to be celebrating the 
4th of July, and probably will be imbibing a bit, you got to be careful that you don't go overboard. And here is a cautionary tale. If you thought your drunken escapades were bad, 23-year-old Lewis Oldfield uh, from England, this is a story from across the pond, recently woke up after a night of drinking to find that he had paid to legally change his name to John Cena. <laughs> yeah, just like the WWE wrestling star. <laughs> well, while he was drunk, he changed, he legally changed his name. He says, quote, we'd had a few pints and were play wrestling. We were just messing around, pretending to do announcements like in WWE, and one of my friends was introducing John Cena. Uh, one thing led to another, and they dared me to change my name. Uh, I was going to get a tattoo saying saying it, but I did this instead. <laughs> he legally changed his name. He says, I always follow through with a dare, so I just did it. <laughs> he points out he's not even a wrestling fan. <laughs> So uh, he paid about $104 for a new passport uh, featuring his new name. That was... was (laughs) So, yeah, there is that. A cautionary tale indeed. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the uh, headlines, in Ankeny, Iowa, police say a man went to his local McDonald's, did not get sauce for his chicken McNuggets. Has that ever happened to you? You go through the drive-thru, you order the sauce with your nuggets, you get home, and then you realize they forgot to include the sauce. Uh, That happens to me all the time. I know how frustrating that can be. So, 42-year-old Robert Goldwitzer Jr. did what I think any reasonable person would do. He threatened to blow up the restaurant. (laughs) Threatened to blow the place up because he didn't get his uh, McNugget sauce, dipping sauce. Uh, Mr. Uh, Golwitzer uh, also threatened to assault an employee. Police say he admitted to making the threats after receiving an incorrect order. He has been cha- charged with uh, falsely reporting an exclu- an ex- falsely reporting an explosive or incendiary device. So. I don't know if they've got McDonald's dipping sauce where you're going, sir. That's <clears throat> Sometimes people make it easy for the cops. A Louisiana man was booked into the uh, local uh, county jail. They don't have counties in Louisiana. It's the parish. So a uh, Louisiana man booked into the uh, local parish jail after driving himself to the facility and telling yep- deputies he was sent there by God. Drove himself to the jail and told deputies he was sent there by God. Bobby Cook was confronted by police in the parking lot of the jail Saturday night and told deputies that God told him to go there and get his family out of jail. Uh, Didn't really work. Although he was reunited with his family, he's now in jail. They uh, charged him with possession of methamphetamine. So now we know the full story behind that one (laughs) other broken news headlines this morning a new hampshire man is recovering after being accidentally shot in the head 
by his nephew. His nephew is eight years old. Milton, New Hampshire police say the uh, child was shooting at chipmunks when a bullet ricocheted and hit his uncle. First of all, I thought, how tough are those chipmunks in New Hampshire? <laughs> the bullets just ricochet up. Maybe he missed the uh, chipmunk, hit something else, I guess. Fortunately, the injuries were not life-threatening. Uh, officials are calling it a freak accident, and no charges are expected to be filed. But I would imagine that this uh, gentleman, whose name is not given, probably is not going chipmunk hunting with his nephew again anytime soon. <laughs> I would think. And speaking of uh, weird stories involving firearms, a California man is lucky to be alive after shooting a bear that managed to break into his home and attack him. A bear broke into his home. The incident occurred uh, Thursday night, the wee hours of uh, Thursday, last Thursday night, early Friday morning in Myers, California, about 100 miles east of Sacramento. The El Dorado County Sheriff's Department received a report from a man saying that he was attacked inside of his own home by a bear and that he had to shoot the animal out of self-defense. The sheriff said that the bear fled from the house and ran back into the woods after it was shot. They could not immediately locate the animal. They did find it the following morning. It was uh, obviously in great distress, uh, was uh, heavily wounded. It was uh, humanely euthanized. The El Dorado County Sheriff's Office launched an investigation after the attack, but determined that the homeowner did act legally in shooting the bear in self-defense and will not be charged with any wrongdoing. The El Dorado County Sheriff's Office took the opportunity then to warn people that attacks like these can happen and that there are ways to prevent things like this from happening again. What, what way would you have to prevent it? The bear broke into his home. I mean, if, if, you, can, if you can't be safe from a bear when you're in your, home, no, your own home, uh, what ways can you prevent something like that from happening? I'm a bit confused. I mean, I think that sounds like you took about all the precautions you could. Uh, anyway, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news headlines. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Let's get to our daily download this morning. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. So be honest, did you put on a few extra pounds during the course of the pandemic over the past year? Many of us did, and so did our pets. Uh, new data shows that our cats and dogs have actually been gaining weight for the past decade, but the pandemic accelerated an already concerning issue. Banfield Pet Hospital reports that between 2011 and 2020, uh, they saw a 108% increase in the number of dogs diagnosed as overweight or obese. 
Last year, 34% of all examined dogs weighed in too much, up from 16% in 2011. While for cats, that number jumped 114% from 18% of all cats in 2011 to 38% of cats in 2020. The chief medical officer, Banfield Pet Hospital, Molly McAllister, says, We want pet owners to know that you are not alone in managing your pet's weight. You can partner with your veterinarian to determine your pet's ideal weight and the appropriate steps to take together to get there without judgment. It is clear from the data, she says, that many pets and their owners are struggling with this issue. So... Don't feel bad if your uh, pet is uh, a little chubby or even more than that, but it is a serious concern uh, that veterinarians say you should uh, address. At the same time that we are trying to get back into the swing of things, maybe take off those extra pounds that we accumulated over the past year, time to get our pets on an exercise regimen as well. So no concerts at Riverside Park this summer, but the Findlay Civic Band is not to be deterred. They have a couple of performances they are planning for this season, the first of which is this week. And uh, Brian Witta is with us on the line this morning from the uh, concert band. And uh, Brian, thanks for uh, joining us once again. Uh, Folks may remember uh, a few weeks ago we were talking uh, about this uh, show, a bit of a preview, but give us all of the uh, details uh, because it is uh, scheduled to be tomorrow if Mother Nature cooperates. Well, uh, Chris, first of all, thanks for having us on. We really appreciate the opportunity to share what we're doing. Yes, we are stubborn. Yes, we are doing our own thing. <laughs> uh, so the the Civic Band, this is our 70th season. So 70 years, uh, this band's been in existence longer than anyone playing, and it has been alive. So that's really cool for a town our size. We, uh, we are playing tomorrow night at 7 p.m., weather permitting, of course. Um, and we're doing it at a little different venue. We will not be at the band shell because, as you mentioned, the summer concert series has been canceled by the park district. Mm-hmm. But we are uh, we're doing a 7 p.m. concert Wednesday, uh, the 30th at St. Michael the Archangel Church on Bright Road. Now, it's not going to be indoors. It's going to be on the front portico of the church, the side of the church that faces Bright Road. Okay. So we're encouraging everybody to bring a chair or a blanket and we'll hang out in the grass. We'll be out front. Um, and you know, we have to, we have to give thanks to father Adam Hertzfeld and all the staff at St. Mike's for not only offering the auditorium for us for rehearsals, but allowing us to perform on such a beautiful campus. It should be a great evening. Yeah. So again, this is weather permitting and obviously if mother nature does not cooperate, uh, we'll know by about five, between like five and six o'clock tomorrow evening at the latest, right? Yes, there's a group of us that'll be over there uh, moving equipment around five o'clock. If things are really bad, then we will wait to see what happens by six. Six o'clock at the latest, we'll make the call. And so you'll you'll be able to uh, get that information if you follow the Findlay Civic Concert Band's Facebook page. Um, it'll also be published to St. Michael the Archangel Parish's Facebook page, but we'll also call WFIN right. to uh, to ask that that be announced. So uh, again, uh, hopefully Mother Nature cooperates. We get a window to get the concert in, and tell us what we uh, what the theme of the concert is this week. 
Well, this week it's a salute to America. So you'll hear some very familiar things. Um, the, the band by tradition uh, has, has started with what we call the opening package, but that's the Riverside Fanfare, Star Spangled Banner, down by the Old Mill Stream, and of course, Finley, Ohio's official march, the Flag City March. And then we'll be playing a lot of patriotic music tomorrow night, uh, our concert that's closest to the 4th of July. We always right. uh, honor the country, honor our troops by doing that. And then uh, you actually have a second uh, show that is scheduled to here in a couple of weeks. What is the theme on that one? So that one is called A Night Out in Finley. And a lot of people have asked us, well, what does that mean? Uh, what I can tell you is you're going to have fun. Um, that one will be on July 14th, again, also at the front of St. Michael on Bright Road. Don't go to, don't go to Main Cross. Go to Bright Road at right. 7 o'clock. Um, you'll be hearing things, uh, some compilations from Chicago, uh, Motown music, the Jersey Boys. It's a lot of fun stuff. Um, really taxing on us brass players, but we're, we're really having fun with it. <laughs> so uh, put those on your calendar. Again, the uh, Finley Civic Band, two performances this season, the first of which is coming up tomorrow. And again, at St. Mike's on uh, Bright Road is the uh, location, but still same familiar time at uh, 7 o'clock. And uh, as you mentioned, this is the 70th anniversary. For those who may be new to the community or have not been to the shows before, uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the history of the uh, band and and who is a, a part of it. We we're on our fourth only fourth director in seventy years. Um, we do have a couple folks in the group who've been playing with us for about forty years. Hmm. Um, but uh, most recently, folks will remember Jack Taylor as the right. director. Jack's recently retired from the University of Finley, and um, he actually has uh, written the Flag City March, and he's arranged uh, down by the old mill stream, which originally was written by Tell Taylor, not his cousin, from what we know. <laughs> um, but he's he's arranged the uh, piece that we play. Um, you know, folks may remember uh, Cliff Height Sr. was one of the former directors of this group. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just a really nice community group of uh, some professional musicians, but most of us are amateurs. There are students from area high schools that come and play with us, and we always welcome new faces. Yeah, you'll see uh, 75 to 100 of us on average uh, for a performance. So it's a good sized group. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, you know, how many people are, are in the band this year? Because it does fluctuate from year to year, but it is always a, a great, uh, great collection of individuals. As you said, great mix of people from uh, uh, high school, college, amateur uh, uh, band members, and, and even professional musicians. Uh, it, it really is a, a fellowship among those who have been a part of the band, such as yourself, for a number of years. It's, it's a family for sure. And, you know, we, a lot of us in the group credit Jack for that. He's just, he's that guy that really uh, created that culture. And, and we're thankful that that's continuing under our new director, uh, Dr. Wes King from the University of Finley. Uh, he's directing us this summer. So talk about uh, breaking in a new director. What's that been like? Because it's the first time that, well, that it's, most, it's the first time that most members of the band have, have gone through that. It is. And, and I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest, uh, challenge he may feel personally is his to follow uh, someone who's who was the director of that group for so so very yeah. long. Yeah. Um, because there's so many things that are just tradition, and you don't want to come in and upset the apple cart. And <laughs> he's he's done a nice he's done a really nice job of you know working with the group and and 
keeping some of those traditions in place. And um, I, I think he'll, I think he'll enjoy working with us as much as we'll enjoy working with him. And it's a, it's a good fit so far. I think we're all having fun. It is difficult to follow a legend, but we certainly look forward to, again, the first performance is tomorrow uh, at uh, St. Michael, uh, the Archangel Church on Bright Road, 7 p.m. And then the, uh, and this is the, uh, the, the patriotic show, uh, which is uh, common for the uh, 4th of July. And then July 10th, is that the uh, second date? Uh, July 14th. July 14th. Okay. Concert and, July 14th. And that one's a night out in Finley. Okay. Yep. So, uh, circle. A night out in Finley. That'll be a lot of fun show tune music. Yeah. So, uh, circle that on the calendar as well. We'll see everybody out at St. Mike's again. Uh, Brian Widow with the uh, Finley Civic Band. Brian, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Again, as uh, Brian was mentioning, uh, the uh, call with weather being a little bit iffy for uh, tomorrow, uh, that uh, call will be made whether the concert will be able to happen or not. Uh, tomorrow evening and uh, be posted on the uh, band's Facebook page. We have that linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net for more details, more happenings of the band. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, as always, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Our little corner of the World Wide Web is at goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, contact us directly via email, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.